Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And we're back. Good to be with you here on the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. Uh, happy times. But uh, as we said last week, we were happy then because we got to play ball. Uh, didn't matter that it was coming off a loss. Now it's coming off a win. Plenty to smile about. A lot of work to go here for this Patriots team. But for fans out there of this team, one and one eh, understand that it's a little easier to grin into your coffee. But uh Plowing forward here, it was sort of a fun tape for me to to review. I uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I've actually sort of enjoyed here as the as the coach's copy came out, diving back into plays, uh, breaking them down a little bit. And you've probably seen them. I've thrown them out there on FB by FB, the, the football by football uh, Twitter handle, and then also on uh, on mine from time to time. But uh, yeah. I, What's been fun for me is is sort of the side conversations it it generates uh, with with some of you guys, uh, but then also with uh, with Deuce McAllister. Deuce sent me something back uh, just in a reply in a tweet. You probably saw it, but made me go back and look at, at at some of the other plays that I you know I'm watching all these from a Patriots perspective to break them down for you guys. But Deuce McAllister, you know, f- former Pro Bowler kind of guy, uh, you know, Super Bowl champion, one of the better running backs in all of Saints history. Uh, and yeah, you know, I did, I, I get a little carried away and started looking at it all from Pat's perspective, but then you go back and, and check, uh, Saints perspective on several of them and he made some good points. And I think there's also times where you can see play vulnerability and you can see portions from the Patriots stuff that uh, I think, uh, will be a little bit like how Belichick will look at it. He'll say, you know what, you, you execute the crap out of this, but look, you know, circle something on the screen and say, there's a vulnerability there. They didn't just because they didn't take advantage of it on that play, doesn't mean it didn't exist, and we don't have to be. And we, we need to be better. So that's kind of what's fun. Uh, you know, it can be miserable as a player because you you know you don't want to have uh, Debbie Downer there every week. But sometimes the Debbie Downers are <laughs> somewhat helpful, I guess, because if you're just sort of on cloud nine that everything's wonderful and and you know there's really some warts that you just can't see yet or that just haven't. Uh, sort of uh, popped to the surface, I guess, because the right opponent didn't come along. They're really big there about making sure they address those things before they become a problem. So uh, that is the team you cheer for, and uh, you're probably lucky it's that way because if they didn't approach things that way, a uh, good chance it wouldn't be uh, such a disciplined place to win so often. So let's first head back through this game. As I mentioned, Deuce McAllister was our great guest last week. Got a good chance to talk to him with some of the stuff that we should expect from the Saints. Uh, issues with back rotation, issues with offensive line, issues with establishing a run game. That was something he hammered big time. Uh, and uh, the Patriots front dealt with it really well. We kind of didn't know. We talked a little bit about that, both with him and when I was sort of uh, <laughs> doing a little solilo- soliloquy prior, but part of it was, uh, you know, 
they've had that issue, but the Patriots' run defense had a lot of fit issues against Kansas City, so you kind of didn't, didn't know which which way which way it would go. Uh, but the Patriots really tuned things up between week one and week two, and that's something we sort of caution everyone every single year. Don't put too much stock in that. They make those adjustments. might be a non-issue. So uh, to tease here, we won't get into it off the top. Off the top, I'm going to go straight through here uh, to the New Orleans game and some of the stuff that I saw in the coach's copy, some of the stuff that's sort of a status report on what's going on with the team, good, bad, and otherwise. Uh, we will get to the meat of the show, the great part of the show here today with uh, old Patriot stud middle linebacker, inside linebacker, my buddy TJ Head Johnson. Can't wait till Ted's on the show today. Ted works uh, radio down in Houston, follows the team really well, uh, gets to be up there and close with uh, with Mike Vrabel, the D coordinator down there now, and Larry Izzo, our buddy, all the little linebacker group, uh, is, is the special teams coach down there for the Texans. So there's a lot of respect, uh, mutual respect from up here, from down there, from me, from you know their announcers, everyone. Big circle jerk of respect uh, because of what we know uh, as far as their football IQ, the what, what way Vrabes can prepare a game plan, the way Vrabes can motivate guys, the way Vrabes kind of knows how stuff ticks around here. I think you have to give them a, a big tip of the cap and uh, anticipate that it's not going to be easy. Uh, and, you know, Larry had the guys fired up as well to get a play or two that will break and to hold down the Patriots special teams, which, uh, you know, have been covering really well, but, uh, well, somewhat well. I mean, there's been some breaks in the dam, which are a little unusual, but they've been pretty banged up. So, We'll see where that goes as well. Uh, TJ, later in the show, now let's dive back into that Saints game. Uh, you know, one of the big things that uh, has become a story, uh, but I don't, uh, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's a little premature. Let's wait this out. Brandon Cooks was a rock star in camp. He, he looked great. I mean, he just dominated one-on-one drills, looked great in the joints. They didn't target him much in the preseason games. That was sort of irrelevant, but he looked like, Mm, this dude's this dude's sweet. He was he was reminding me almost a little bit of an Antonio Brown type. Like this guy, just he's a tough cover, but he's a tough cover everywhere, you know. And there's even looked like at that time to be maybe a little catch and run element to him. Uh, that that uh, you know he's explosive. He can just get it into his hand somehow, some way. If people are going to lag off him, well, I say all that, and through two games. There's been some big plays for sure, some the vertical stuff in Kansas City, more the drawn penalties then, a few plays there in this last game. But my big review of the the of the coach's copy, all twenty two, whatever the hell you want to call it, basically says, man, we're at surface scratching point with Cooks, and there's so much more there. Uh, they've started to build formations that will isolate and sort of highlight him. Um, I, I threw out one video that sort of is meant to show you kind of that idea, uh, but after they sort of, you know, early on got him involved with a carry, again, that's sort of an Antonio Brown kind of fullback kind of thing where you know coming into the game, uh, there aren't a lot of other targets with Pittsburgh, tight ends lighter position now, they, they've they got Martavis Bryant, and then the, the run game's big, kind of like the Patriots, I mean, I don't know, maybe a Bryant-Hogan uh, connection is not perfect I get that uh but you know you know you're gonna get a lot of run game production there and you have one big target you know you got to stop because of the Patriots injuries they they fit a little bit more of that profile and I think the Patriots know that especially with 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 um with Cooks coming home you know uh the team's gonna game plan to make sure he doesn't hurt them and much like the Patriots always do with guys I know this when when you get to go back home they don't want to see you do well uh, when you return, so or when you know when you play against your old team, so um, I say that because Cooks was involved with with a reverse play real early, you know, a carry essentially, get the ball in his hands, let's run, let him see what he can do with it, and then once that happens, some of the shifts and motions that happen pre snap 
might cause a coverage shift that you want to, to free up someone else. So I think that was purposeful, obviously. Uh, I think it was uh, interesting, and I get why they're doing it. And I think in saying that, the coach's tape shows a lot of situations where they built formations where you can tell they're trying to highlight him, and it didn't quite work. You know, the, the one clip I showed on Twitter was – was uh, an ISO backside play where the full formation, the whole formation is is hash to the other two thirds of the field. So everything, which forces everyone who's across from a man who's going to cover him, the closest thing uh, to something in the coverage to, to Cook's side was a was a linebacker that's aligned to the offset back. But that's not even outside the tackle box. So there's nothing. They're purposely giving him a third of the entire width of the field to work with. And because there's a post safety, there's no way he can get involved. So the, the concept there, uh, you know, it's tough for me to tell it in 140 characters on there, but the concept there is to stretch, stretch, let, let, let Cook's – release to the sideline to try to get the defensive back to take steps with him uh, to free up his own inside release a couple strides into the route. Uh, didn't happen there. I actually got exceptional coverage. Young young guy, DB, I'm blanking on his name. Bad of me to have it in front of me. But uh, young defensive back, uh, f- rookie, uh, good player for, for New Orleans. Again, name escapes me. But made a couple really nice tight coverage plays in that game. And I thought, you know, that guy's a player. He's going to be something. So as, as much as, as New Orleans was getting hammered for giving up a bunch of points in a, to a great offense, uh there were some bright signs there. I could see some guys could play Kaha. Can never say his name had a had a nice sack. They did some things, but there were certain some certainly some deficiencies in the the Patriots torching. But there's there's really no shame in that. That this this is going to happen to a lot of people. So anyway, uh, Cooks had his opportunity there. Had an opportunity later in some ISO situations, at least situations where you could tell they had built the formation or had moved things around with sort of with the idea behind that 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 Cooks is going to be a real early. A portion of the progression, and it didn't connect a lot. You know, it was a, a, a relatively low compl- you know, target day, uh, whatever the number. Again, don't have the box score in front of me. Few catches, not a ton of yards, but a factor in the game, no question. But I think it's more exciting than you know getting uh, you know fire alarms and all that stuff. That there might be some sort of issue. There's not. He's good, really good, and and you know the the comeback, deep comeback stuff. We didn't have to see that. I talked about it from the Chiefs game that didn't show up in this game. Um, I'd simply say it's reps, it's reps watching him and Tom get on the same page, you know, and, and that will be maybe one of the most important, uh, maturing relationships on this entire team. I get it. I get a good feeling just from watching how they react post snap to each other, sort of the little side conversations, uh, the way you can see, ah, you know, if, if, if cooks had just flattened this break by, you know, a few degrees, well, he's open. Oh, if he had just carried this, you know, a little different angle and cut it off, mm, Tom fits him there. Or Tom is thrown to a spot. It's not really the way that Cooks broke, you know, opened out of the break. If he just, you know, mm, you know, it's subtle is my point. My point is you're, you're really close. You're right there. So, you know, I don't get into sort of the, the, the hot takey stuff about that there's some sort of issue. They're, they're sort of a whisker away, and, and we'll obviously continue to monitor that for the, throughout this, uh, this early season. Uh, one of the real early plays there, I think it might have been the first series, was Burkhead motioning across the formation. We talked about this all week. There was a lot of speculation about how are you going to replace sort of a, you know, a slot, so-called a slot element with, with Amendola having a concussion and being out. Real quick answer to that was backs uh, that can run routes into the slot. I, I talked about this on the pod. I, I tweeted about it a little bit during the week. But 
this gives me an opportunity here to, to explain it in a little more, little more thoroughly. So the idea of replacing Edelman, who's not a pure slot, he plays all over the formation, or Amendola, who you see show up in the slot a lot, or either run option routes in that area of the field, and then maybe jerk back to the middle, jerk back to the outside. The important part there is where they end, as we just said, jerk to the middle, jerk to the outside, run the full, run the full seam. Um, it's not where they start. So I, I think the Patriots really understand that, and actually you can draw better coverage people or better coverage matchups if you keep them in the backfield and then arc release or, or release through the line, but then make your way back to the slot. So the slot doesn't just exist as a place that you stand before the snap. The slot extends sort of the length of you know the length of the field to the end zone in that same area, uh, and it, it can sometimes be more difficult to cover slot portions if they originate in the backfield uh, because you can almost guarantee you're going to draw a linebacker that way because if you extend from the formation too much pre-snap, you might draw a defensive back, and they might say, "Hey, keep the linebacker in the box," but you're only a few, you know, only a couple strides away by virtue of starting in the tackle box and then making your way to the slot post snap, and then you've got that guaranteed matchup you love. So, I think that was a philosophy there. Uh, with in, you know, by virtue of also moving around in the formation, you get to declare it, whether or not it's a safety covering him, uh, whether or not it's an actual corner, a down corner, if it's dime or something like that. And uh, what they did with Burkhead in that first series is he was aligned on one side, the motion to the other, linebacker rolls with him from left to right. You know, oh man to man, man to man on that guy. And Brady runs, or Brady just throws a seam route to him. And, and uh, Burkhead ran a great route. It looked to me like it was maybe meant to be a bow route, like bow being sort of, you know, you, you arc out but then return. So you say, say your origination point is, say, halfway between numbers and hash. Uh, if you start in the halfway point and you start the arc outside of the numbers, bow routes usually come back to that halfway point. His kind of arc to the – to the numbers and never really returned. He just kept extending and running away from the linebacker. So I wondered if, you know, you rewatch it and you're like, wow, how did Brady know to keep it out wide like that? It seemed more like he was just reading the way Burkhead took it. Like he felt like it would have been harder to stack him if he'd have bowed it back. Maybe the linebacker gets back involved in the play. This way, it was perfect. So <laughs> it was a dime of a ball. It's a huge play in the game, first series, and it's like, wow, we just had one series of football, and we answered half our questions from what the offense was was going to do from a week ago. Uh, so that was cool stuff. Um, one little sort of side note here that may be of interest, some football wonks out there, maybe not, and I'm wasting a minute of your time, but uh, you may have seen Ken Zampini. Ken Zampezi was fired from the Cincinnati Bengals this week. He was the OC there. Uh, we got all that the, the Bengals uh, have been having some offensive issues in these first couple weeks. Uh, Zampezi was on the staff for as uh, an underling. I don't even recall his actual position. He had a, a group, maybe, but he was pretty new in the league when I was a rookie in 99 with the Rams. And Zampezi was on that team, and they always taught the Zampezi route. And it was sort of jokingly from his father, Ernie. I think it's Ernie's MPC, yeah. But it was just sort of an old, an old, an old sort of standby NFL concept. It's one of the like indefensible routes, and the reason it was sort of tied to Zampezi at the time. Remember, that's when Vermeil, you know, was on the team, was the head coach, and Martz has sort of taken over the offense. That Zampezi route, which is kind of like an angle route, but it's like when a back starts where you're used to seeing them run an angle where they start to the outside sort of like to the flat, and they're trying to get the linebacker to overplay it 
and then angle back to the middle. It's an angle, like you know, like you'd see in geometry in high school or whatever. So like that's a regular angle. The Zampezi route is kind of like it, but it doesn't have like the sharp angles into it, and it's meant to have more options. So you start to angle out, and you can kind of bow it into the seam, or you can sharp cut it in a couple different spots based upon basically the leverage. So it's like a leverage play. Your your route isn't predetermined. You the route becomes what is comp, what is exactly opposite whatever the freaking linebacker does if that makes any sense maybe this one's more more easy to to illustrate than to talk through but just imagine you're the linebacker and they're starting to run what looks like the start of an angle route if you overrun it they'll cut across your face and they run just a true angle if you stick with it it sort of converts to a couple different other options up the field but it's really meant to just go where you don't and, and then fit in it's so tough and obviously Marshall Falk was was the guy and you know, he's the guy that basically has his own little tree off that whole that Zampezi thing he just had a great relationship with Warner uh, I don't know I thought it was interesting to see that that you know it, not to dance in the guy's grave I'm not saying that Zampezi you know should have lost the job I don't even know about that it doesn't matter but uh, relative to a Patriots podcast, but I just thought it would maybe make people aware that there was sort of a route concept that was out there married to that family that uh, the Patriots like to use now. Uh, it's, it's old NFL lore, uh, not lore, but, you know, just something that's it's not exclusive to any particular team now. Everybody kind of has a version of it, but I think the Patriots have a lot of backs that can run that really well, and they do. K. Falk, you know, he killed it back in the day. So uh, anyway, moving ahead, um, uh, next Big thing, and I think this was this is how complementary football works. This is how game planning works. And I wanted to highlight this for you guys uh, because you know Josh McDaniels calls plays in that first game. He's got his sort of first chapter, and the Saints spend a week game planning, not a short week, because they had the the old uh, uh, was it Monday night game, Thursday night game, whatever. They had, they had the short week, Monday night game, but. What the fuck it was? I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Off the rails. But anyway, they had the short week of prep. Uh, Patriots had the longer week of prep. But you go back and look at what Josh had put on paper, and then you go back to even just the first series of the game against the Saints. And I remember there were several uh, carries for Hogan in that Chiefs game, uh, a couple that were successful, and then the one at the end that kind of didn't go anywhere, right? So – they know that, right? And the Saints have, have practiced all week and watched their own film and done the this, this, this study, scout study of the, the Patriots' tendencies, whatever little they are, you know, in one week's time. But just kind of get a sense of here's what they've done. The Patriots did rule breakers all the way through that first series and then even into the second series. Uh, by virtue of giving a carry to Cooks, who hadn't gotten the carry yet, and, and extending Hogan away from him. So if you're kind of starting to see the motion happen and you think oh carry coming i watched film now hogan didn't get it cooks did the other way and it was a big gainer early so then they come back a little bit later and then they run more reverse action uh what looks like another carry is coming it was actually a double action of some sort send one guy one direction and then hogan is reversing for the second portion of the fake and you're thinking to yourself you're a linebacker safety you're down oh i watched film i saw this play here it comes and you can react well to it but Hogan doesn't get the ball. So it's sort of that double screen, the double fake thing that becomes a screen. Huge play for Burkhead, but that uh, ends up being, I don't know, however many yards it was, one of the bigger plays of the, the half for him. But really the, the story there is that they built that. They created that, not just because the two fakes were great fakes. It's part of it. Uh, it's They sell it well. 
But another part is just that it it registers with what you studied. So if you're a linebacker, you were watching that, there's a reason you're reacting hard to the Hogan thing because you don't know the dumbass doesn't react to it all if they happen to give him the carry because he had multiple in the first game. You don't react and you look like an idiot because, shit, did you watch film? You know, So that's it's kind of rocking a hard place. So uh, they got him on that one. But that's just kind of cool play design. It's kind of how stuff works in the NFL when you're doing it right. Um, Brady's big throw to Gronk, that was sort of one of the early highlights, you know, Roma was was uh, doing a nice job there with his analysis, I thought, and was sort of in awe of how Brady was able to throw that ball off his back foot, didn't flinch with the with the, the rush on coming. Uh, really nice throw there. Uh, one of the things I think that sticks out from that play that didn't, you know, you can't talk about everything in a play. You could rewind a play if you're doing the play-by-play uh, and the color 20 times and, and talk about something different each and every time. Uh, I know this very much from doing my college games, but you know you only you got to pick something. And you got to say it fast because you don't get all that much time. But on that big throw to Gronk, one of the other things I think is really worth noting is all the rushers up the field past the quarterback. You know, Soldier did give up a sack, I believe, in the game, maybe even a couple. Um, you know, I, you know people get the the rush stats and the the pressure stats. You know, yeah, he gave a couple. It wishes he hadn't, I'm sure. Uh, but I think overall. They did a really great job with protection. You don't put up 36 points if you don't. Um, and Nate, that's a good. that plays a good example of Nate and Cannon both letting the, the, the rushers go up the field and just riding them past. And then you almost see once they're behind Tom, like two, three, four, sometimes yards, Tom just stands like a statue. You could care less. Once you sort of clear his purview, if you can't see us sort of straight out the left or right of his eye, then you're, 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 out, you're, you're, out, you're out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So... The, these tackles, especially as long as Nate is, as big and bullish as as, as Cannon is, when they take their first kick step, Nate's six six, dude, six eight. Excuse me, like he's huge. I'm tall, six four, six five, kind of guy. Nate towers over me. When Nate takes a kick step, he's like freaking at five yards. So he takes his second kick step, three kick steps, whatever the hell it is. If you choose to go around him, and, and people have done it, I mean, he's been beat a lot. You know, he's been beat a lot. He's one of the best tackles in the league, but he gets beat. Guys get beat. But when you beat him, you're so friggin' deep, and Brady isn't phased by people that go that deep. So if you're able to get around him at nine or ten or some sort of depth like that, then turn and run back down the run back down the hallway. Well, that's different, but it doesn't happen that that often. And that was a really good example of cool runway up the field and Tom doesn't even flinch and once they've got you behind him then they begin to sort of block you and you know he's able to do it so I thought that was kind of a good example of uh of of what doesn't that what doesn't phase him and where whereas someone might record that as an air quotes pressure that's where they want them to go that's where that's how they want them to pocket to form so when they stop at, at before quarterback level and get back in Tom's throwing lanes, he hates that shit. He doesn't like that. He's better if you run up past him. You know that's that's good. That's what they want. Upfield past the quarterback. We get screamed at it as as rushers back in the day. Do not go upfield past the quarterback against these really good pocket guys because you do nothing. Uh, so one of the, one example that always comes to mind is Trevor Price. Trevor Price is a really good uh, defensive end for Baltimore, for the the Broncos, for a big chunk of his career. Trevor Price was an example that Coach Belichick always used to use about guys, about pocket busters, that he wanted the place that counts, right? There's the rarities, the guys, the Jason Taylors, the uh, Simeon Rice for, for a time there, whatever, those kinds of guys that can really, really bend and turn the corner. Uh, they can get around a corner and still be in front of, 
quarterback, you know, drop drop depth, five and seven drop. That's rare. There aren't very many guys that do that. Von Miller's, you know, but most guys have to run the horn. And the one thing that's that was unique about Price and why I bring him up and why Belichick always bring him up is because he would let the tackle take those two big kick steps and always won inside. He always won inside. He always won uh, pressing sort of back into the inside shoulder pad of the tackle or just powering him to the inside or just straight clean winning on the inside. We actually saw Coney Ely do it a couple times before he was released. That was probably his best move, an interior move. Why, is that, why does that matter? And I'm not saying that they made a mistake in cutting him. It, it, was, it was too limited. It couldn't do all the other stuff that the role required. But that move, Trevor Price's move, I'd say patented, uh, was harder or was more disruptive for, a, for an offense because it ends up back in the passing lane. You end up right back in Tom's eyesight. You end up right sort of in his vision, the field of vision. And they don't like that. They hate that. So uh, I thought that was interesting uh, that, that so many times guys in Kakaha or whatever is Kakaha, I, I can't say the name, but uh, the – he had a really nice sack bend in the horn. That was that was tremendous, and it's a once in a once in a game kind of thing. If you're able to time the snap perfect and bend it and win it and not get beyond quarterback depth, gold depth, gold. You did it, uh, but it doesn't happen very often. You usually got to run back down the pocket, and uh, they what the Saints didn't have a lot of is guys that won inside, guys that stretched it to quarterback depth. But when they or at or right before quarterback depth, bend it right underneath, bend it right underneath and get in the passing lane and affect Tom Soros much more. There wasn't much of that. All the upfield passes stuff, couldn't care less. There were a lot of great pockets in that game, and that's why he saw the big-ass score. Uh, so kind of going – oh, well, you know, I, okay, I'll take this back. Back me up for two seconds here. Um, on that same play, there's another little coaching point that that I know is going to be hammered in, in the Saints' defensive meeting room, and and it's something where Belichick is always big on this too. And they break one, but their guy, the other guy on the other side, screwing up against you, he can make that same and does make that same point back to his own defense. So on that play, remember it was sort of a scramble was thing. The pocket was extended nice and well. Uh, Gronk was down the sideline, but then it was sort of almost like a, an arm wave thing, and he kind of threw, Tom threw it up flat footed just to a. A space he didn't think the linebacker would get. Linebacker had taken Gronk all the way across the field, young dude, and had him really nice. Actually ran all the way across sort of the width of the field. But when Gronk turned and wheeled back up the field, those are called scrambled rules. So you've extended as wide as it can go. You turn back up. You know, I don't know you don't necessarily throw your hand up, but you sort of then go for the vacancy. And it's then where you're looking for sort of eye contact with the quarterback and running to, to sort of uh, finding that place where there's a soft spot and sort of him delivering it in advance you arriving. So what the screw up there was a, the, the linebacker had him. But then once scramble rules begin, you become sort of like uh, an off-the-ball uh, off defender is not a great example because off-the-ball defender in basketball, you, you're supposed to kind of see the ball in man. This is one where you just face guard <laughs> legitimately because he turns because there's no like prescribed route anymore. You have no idea what's going on in the pocket behind you. As soon as you peek once, and that's what the dude did, he looked back to see oh, what's going on with Brady, and Gronk took a couple strides away from him, and the play was over. It was though it was that moment where he peaked that screwed the whole deal. So and again, it's something that he goes back and he'll say that to Landon Roberts, he'll say that to Van Noy, he'll say that to to all the linebackers in the room. This is why that happened for them. Don't look back. Once you know, as soon as he wheels out, uh, go 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 plaster him. Don't and don't take your eyes off him. Play back up through the pocket. No peeking. Unless I mean, you grab a hold of his hip. You know, 
and, and you're right on top of him, okay, yeah, maybe if you're in dominant position, you can look back. But if you're just near him, not t- not within arms, like not touching, don't don't peek because you peek and then Gronk does what Gronk just did. All right, so third and seven blitz conversion. Let's talk through that. I put it up on Twitter. Uh, Patriots, I would say this one sort of cri- criticism, I don't know if it's criticism, but it's more just reality of what happened. It shows you that, you know, I guess, the other side of the coin is you can be really, really, really optimistic about what this offense could be because they put up those those three scores on the first three drives with a lot of third down conversions, and they weren't third and twos. They weren't third and threes. Those were thirds and sixes, is third and sevens, maybe even a third and eight in there that sort of they – they had a lot of nice bailout plays. And one of the ones that I think will sort of be an alarm bell for anyone who's now watching to be alarms for, for Vrabes as his, him and the, and the Texans are watching this, uh, this tape, I think any of the future division opponents, I think anyone that's out there watching is probably going to not want to pressure Tom Brady because of what happened on some of those conversions. The third and seven, and I believe the first quarter is a big one, where – uh, they 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 only had one off the ball guy sort of in the linebacker area, and he became a part of the pressure. We talked about this a little bit from the Chiefs game. What does that mean when you do that? Well, it means you vacate low hole players. You don't have an additional help guy. If you want to add a man, go for it. But unless you're sacking Tom Brady, you just left a giant vacancy. That's what the huge risk is. So. Other, Teams will do that to, uh, to lesser quarterbacks because you don't expect them to be able to locate the vacancy in the time before they get hit. He knows it pre-snap that if that guy moves, that's where the vacancy is, and it, as it marries to where safety location is. And in this case, safety's middle field. It was deep safety. Maybe there'd been a motion, something pre-snap, whatever. So he kind of knows that we've got some sort of man concept going up there. But as soon as he sees that creeping guy in the linebacker shoot forward, he knows that his inside route, wherever it would happen to be, whether it be a, the inside breaking route for the left side of him or the tight end breaking off, which it ended up being with Gronk, his route's going to break at a point where the deep midfield safety can't get there, and now there's a hole. So that's the risk you take. And they they smoked him. I, I think if you go back and look at that play, again, it's in my Twitter feed somewhere there. If you go back and look at that play, Tom could have easily complete because of the, the the pressure vacancy. Because of I think actually bringing a sixth, it was really a five man pressure. The sixth guy is, is hugging the back, which means he is rushing across the line of scrimmage. But it's only because he's in man to man on the back and he's hugging him. If the back were to leave, he wouldn't have been in the pressure. But uh, anyway, the point is here: uh, you bring six across the freaking line of scrimmage. That means there's less people on the other side. <laughs> And when there's less people on the other side, that means, yeah, maybe you still got a middle of the feed safety, but you got solos on every other, other every other eligible that's out there. So because it's Tom Brady, and this doesn't work with every other quarterback, but because it's Tom Brady, that kind of coverage, he's getting it out of his hand inside three anyway. He's getting it out before the pressure's getting there. So because of solos all over the place, guys got to run to their to their sticks depth, or to, I'm sorry, to the stem depth at the top of their route, and they break. And... The first stride out of the break on the one that he chooses usually who hits, and that's the hardest time to cover a route if you're a defender. You, you, you can ride with a route. That's not the toughest thing in the world to do to the, to the stem, but then when he breaks out of it, yeah, there's like this little window where the defender's kind of away from you, and then you kind of catch up, right? That's how route running works. But as soon as Brady sees man, and especially when you freaking left a big hole in the defense because you decided you needed an extra guy to rush, he chooses that guy, and in that 
flicker and that sort of flash in that moment, the first couple strides out of the break, that's where that's when and where he's going. And he did. And again, I think you're going to watch that if you're a defensive coordinator or another team or other linebackers or defensive backs studying this and saying, coach, let's not fucking send six. That shit don't work. And I, I think that was, was a pretty definitive game to kind of, kind of lay it out there for you in the league. You may occasionally try some zone blitzing maybe because you drop someone that Tom won't expect, but man, you don't need to send six. You don't need to send six. They're not protecting with six or more. So, you know, you're not really helping yourself. But anyway, maybe the league will learn. Maybe they won't. It's been a lot of years. Uh, so anyway, one issue here that I don't want to sound too homerish. This is just more sort of football football dirt. Uh, but, yeah, definitely that Coleman touchdown was an illegal pick. I think Patriots fans are sensitive to it because they wanted to call back because it was their guys. But I'd say just, you know, team wearing blue, team wearing black, whatever. Uh if you know, take the stick, helmet stickers off and just sort of talk about the the X's and O's on the field. Yes, that was illegal. It, it happened about four yards downfield, and you remember that the other one got called back. Brady politic for a little bit. I'm glad he did. He should uh, because they had designed a play that was supposed to pick at one yard. When you're picking at the line of scrimmage, it's legal. When you pick downfield, it's not. And they did. Uh, and and I was surprised. And I'm not saying this to. I'm sure there are plays out that the Patriots did that would have been on the edge of the edge of the of the rule that you know if you were a Saints fan you could point back at, a, at me us whatever not us but you know what I mean uh and so I'm sure there are other ones so I'm not bringing this out to say oh they got screwed that you know it, it's not that I think it really highlights why all penalties should be reviewable because that's the exact kind of one it's not a judgment call that there is literally a rule that says within x amount of length of the wide receiver or of the, of the line of scrimmage excuse me the pit can't take place so it's really easy to freeze frame and say, oh, it's downfield. It's illegal, right? And it's purposeful. You can tell he's turning and making the route run into him. I mean, it is what it is. Now, again, I'm a former defensive player, special teams dude. I, I, I don't mind picks. I think the picks should be fine. I think I'd much rather just see all picks are legal. All picks are legal. Because if all picks were legal, what, what defensive players would do is they would pass them off. When the pick happens, it's just pick, 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 you know, or, you know, like you would do in basketball, like a pick and roll play. You, 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 you exchange the pick. Um, and that's, but I think because picks may draw you a flag, NFL players try to play through them sometimes and they try to fight through them and see if they can get the call. Um, I'd rather just see, man, there aren't, you you can't, as you're running and covering a route, be staring at the ground. You might feel like that was a yard, but it was three. You might feel like it was two, but it was four, whatever. You know, you have a sense of where, where you're at more or less, but Remember, sometimes a wide receiver is a couple yards off the ball because he's flexed. Uh, you know, he takes a couple strides forward. You're not staring at the ground to do measurements. So it's much better, I think, if you're, you're you know, doing this shit at 100 miles an hour. You've got other things in your mind. If it's just all picks are legal or all picks are illegal, it would be much better. So I thought that was a great example where it clearly was illegal. Should have been a touchdown. Should have came back. But you don't have the ability to point it out. But you can point out other stuff, whether or not something was a catch. That's stupid. Uh, whether or not something's a catch might be worth 15 yards. Whether or not something's a uh, pick here was worth seven points. So, I, 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 again, I just don't understand the logic that doesn't allow you to, to allow you to do it. Because they're, they're trying to tell you that one is a judgment and one is not. Are you telling me a catch isn't a judgment? Good God. It's become the greatest judgment in our sport. Uh, there is nothing definitive about that. But they're actually, and oddly enough, the one they're calling subjective and a judgment is the one that's more bright line. <laughs> you can tell. Just look at the ground. Count the yards. It was too far. And, you know, I'll, I'll not spend too much time on this, but we also know that that was the same situation with the, uh, the Gronk stuff. Illegal contact. 
touched downfield. Happened uh, at the 8, 9, 10-yard mark. I, I put up a tweet there about that as well in game where you can see that second man hits Gronk on that one that he dropped in the end zone. Well beyond five. Not not six. Not like, you know, too much of a technicality. It was six or even seven. It was eight plus and continues on. It's illegal as hell. And that's the kind of thing that you would probably want to review and say, yeah, let's get a flag for it. But, again, it's not a Gronk point. It's not a Patriots point. It's just a football point. I think more defensively, you just need you just need it to be more clear. And you need there, – there is no logic behind not being able to review one or the other. All right, moving on. One of the really, really, really big things that I loved – uh, was the short yardage change from week one to week two for the Patriots. And they failed. We know that on a couple fourth down conversions, a third and one late as well in that Chiefs game. The fourths being attempts at points they didn't get ended up being a big factor in the game. And one of the things when I watched tape that I thought, you know what, I had to play a few of those positions on there over the years. There was one year where I had to play Mike linebacker on short yardage and goal line. Usually I was a, a right outside linebacker, but occasionally right corner. Corner is just defensive end or outside linebacker, basically, and in uh, goal line because you you only have one corner on the field sometimes, maybe two corners. But um, the air quotes right corner Izzo did that job for a while, and I was down a spot at the outside linebacker. But the point is, the the corner is kind of the end of man line guy, and he doesn't have to be a, a coverage duty. He's basically a linebacker. So, but the the reason that matters is because when you play any of those positions, you're really reading the formation because it's only freaking yard. You need some advanced information to figure out where the hell the ball is going, reading guys' stances, trying to remember tendencies, uh, where they like to go, where their point of attack is usually in, in short yardage shit. Um, but you don't get into that, right? Because, uh, well, I mean, excuse me, you, you, you never hit any of those tendencies or hit any of those inclinations against the Chiefs, at least I didn't think so, because they stood in their formation. So one of the biggest things, standing in their formations means no motion, no shifting. You kind of align with the side that's stronger than the other. In other words, two tight ends or the, the third tackle that's a tight end. And you can tell on the backside it's a tight end who doesn't block as well. So you kind of know pre-snap if you're that middle linebacker, man, this stuff is going to the strong side. There's no way they're going back to the weak dude. And if some, but one sometimes when they motion a guy, and now it's like, okay, bigger, better blocker tackle left, but an extra tight end right. So then you're kind of rocking a hard place. You've got to play it even. I thought the Patriots on a couple of those occasions in Kansas City game didn't play it even, didn't make a confusion element to it. So everyone who started pre-snap getting ready to fire off the ball and kind of thought they knew where it was going to go, it went there. And that's why it failed. As much as Gillisley didn't do this or backs or you know blockers didn't do this, I think you need a little bit of movement and goal line if you just stand there. Uh, it can be easy to tee off on it, and, 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 and the Chiefs did. The Patriots did a much better job against the Saints. Uh, motion across, Gillisley touchdown. That was the, the first one. I was like, okay, they made the change. That is better. So going forward, now they're tough. You know, you don't have a real strong tendency. They, they motioned them and went to strength. Now they motioned them and go away from strength. That kind of thing that we talked about earlier with the Hogan reverse and all that. So one other thing stood out in my mind, loved it, saw it reminding myself and anyone else who's out there watching the James White show was not just an anomaly in the Super Bowl. That was not just some quirk. This is one of the more effective pass-catching backs in all of football. I don't care who you bring to the table. This dude is slick as hell in the screen game. And it's not the dramatic cuts of Deion Lewis a couple years ago. And Deion, you know, not, not to deride that guy, Deion had a couple nice runs, or at least one real explosive 10, 12-yarder that I remember. He popped out. And my first thought was, ooh, nice run, James. And it was Dion that got up. It's like, okay, there's that old explosiveness from Dion. But with James, what's what's unique about him is it's not the dramatic jump cuts, spinning, you know, 
I don't have an example off the top of my head, but the, the stuff you saw from, from Deion Lewis two years ago where it's like guys' ACLs are breaking. His are more like controlled steps, but he glides and he's quick and it's sort of effortless, and he does a great job of hiding in between blockers, kind of sliding. It's efficient, quick movements. Um, which, he, I, you know, the more I watch it and I watch guys screw up in the screen game against them, and I can picture myself out there screwing up basically because I think you get lost uh, because he doesn't take wild cuts. He doesn't put a lot of space between himself and the blockers. I think he looks, at least from, you know, from watching from outside now, he looks like the kind of guy that gets lost in the blocking scheme. He looks like I, I see linebackers or people approaching him in the screen game, not locating him. And that that's a skill. It's kind of a subtle skill that's kind of hard to explain, but you kind of got to experience it. Like he's, he does a good job of hiding if that makes any sense, but he also explodes and he's moving quicker than you think. And maybe other people think he's quick. I don't know. I know he's quick, but I'm, I'm surprised how easily he slides past people that I know have great speed. And it, it shows up the best in screen game. That's, that's his world, man. Yeah. James White is a screen runner, very good at it. And, uh, it's a super weapon for this team. Came up a lot there in that saints game. Uh, moving on to Dietrich wise, got to talk about him. Huge story. Guy gets sat, gets multiple pressures, knockdown hits, whatever. I think the biggest story out there, if you're a Patriots fan in regards to Dietrich wise is that we'd seen him with hustle plays in preseason and not many preseason games because he had very few reps. Uh, we saw him in the Kansas City games with some great hustle plays, late in pockets, you know, showing his length, uh, some strength, uh, more, but more hustle plays. No, just like, you know, JPP slapped the arms down, whipped the corner, all oh, great rush. Wise had his first one of those. I hadn't seen him do that. I hadn't seen him just blow around the edge on a guy. That was new, and that's huge. So, Guy's obviously been working on his uh, his pass rush moves, his technique. Uh, he doesn't look like he just run into the chest of the tackle guy, which I thought that a little bit when I first saw him, but it was training camp, man. The guy just got in the league. He's doing a great job now of mixing it up, which is a good sign, and there's still the hustle stuff there. He's got a good motor. The combination of Butler and Wise, both high-motor guys that are both long but still have some length and strength to them, <laughs> length and strength, um, it, uh, those are – two really nice young players. They're good complements to the more bulls that you have in, in Malcolm Brown and Allen Branch. And for people that are down on Branch, I get it. He's out of that three-man rotation right now. Uh, six plays, whatever it was in this game, he ain't going away. This is, they believe the other guys are playing better. They're probably right from film. I think they actually are. Um, but it'll get the guy refocused. And I, 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 without a doubt, expect that Allen Branch will be a big part of that part of that group going forward again, but he'll have to earn his way back in. And that's just kind of how things work around here. If it doesn't respond well to it, well, then never mind. But I presume he will. And uh, fortunately, they got a couple other guys playing at a really high level, Lawrence Guy especially, and uh, and Malcolm Brown doing a good job at the nose. So he's obviously the second nose, but now the nose is of preference right now. And Adam Butler is not just a pass rush guy for high-energy plays. He's doing a good job in the running game as well. So that's earning him more time and making sort of the, the branch out of the rotation thing possible. So, again, it'll be a fight. Uh, we'll see how, how they get back to it. Uh, but I think you're going to need all four of those guys going forward for the length of the year. And it was great to see that Wise has got other parts to his pass game other than just being long and grabbing people or other, other than just counter moves. Like, he can just win off the line, slap hands, and, and run a corner. That was that was new, and that's, that's you're going to love that if that's that's the kind of player he can be long term. Uh, the deep ball to Dorsett, I thought that was another little thing to, to notice. The two plays, the underthrown ball to, to Dorsett that ended up being a nice play early that got him involved, and then the downfield play 
on what I believe is called a snag seven. I think I think that's what the route combination was. It was some sort of curl, comeback, snag, whatever on the outside that's meant that's meant to draw the coverage down to the short route while he runs something deep to flag or they call it seven route in the tree, basically behind it. So uh, you're hoping you don't draw attention with him. But Dorsett actually had a second defender near him when Tom let go of that, but Tom threw a perfect ball. Dorsett runs and un- runs under it, and you're like, okay, that's I, I get it. That's how he's going to be used. He's going to be the runoff guy, either back to the flag, uh, the, the seven route stuff, or or go routes or seam routes or down the field balls. That's that's going to be the role, or or maybe get him involved with some carries. Uh, so you know, I think it's a great way to get him involved early. It's not it's not just like remember when Matthew Slater and he runs so well and he's such an incredible special teams player, but they would come in and have Matthew Slater Slater plays. And if you were on defense, like you knew something was up. Like there's only one reason Matt's in there. I think it was tough on him because I'd always love to see how he would be if he had to play a real role where down to down he didn't know it was coming. But I think they're getting away from that with Dorsett. He was out there enough to where he wasn't just going to be targeted for a go because he was in there to sort of mix it up. They used him now a couple times, uh, so he's he's someone that they got to honor. You know, it's it's possible that that's coming, and uh, plausible even in some instances. So you got to defend it. That's good. Again, advanced scout stuff where you're like, okay, we have to honor this now, and there may be some other complimentary play off of it. Um, Gillisley, I only got a couple more points here. I think Gillisley uh, really showed out late in the game, uh, quick to the edge when they you know when the edge starts to get a little soft because guys are getting tired. Blocking it well. Dwayne Allen did a nice job blocking in the game. Some of the edge blocking stuff late uh, where they start to collapse the side. And Gillisley is so definitive with that cut. Once he decides it, it's not even a cut. It's just sprint to the edge. And and he gets there quick and he gets there low. And he slides between tackling opportunities. Falls forward all the time. Really good runner. Great asset to this team. Uh, I think, again, it's important, especially with Burkhead's ribs getting banged up and knowing, obviously, that Deion Lewis, I'm knocking on wood as we say this, has an injury history. James has been really the healthy one of the group. Uh, but, you know, Gillisley obviously had the hammy in, in preseason and had his issues in Buffalo. It's a group of four that has – three of the four have had injury history. So I think it's really important that all four of these guys stay. I know like people like to talk about maybe a Deion Lewis trade. I mean, that became sort of a popular idea. I don't like the idea of it at all. I think Deion's going to be a good player for you, and I think he can fill in, in in a snap and do a really good job as well. So I love the idea that each and every of these games, at least in the first couple, all four of these guys are getting involved. All four guys are getting touches. Now, if Burkhead's down for some reason with this rib thing, that just slides it to the other three guys. But I think you need all three of or all four of them because at any moment, they can all be a big part of the offense. And you saw how big. They're, they're – basically receivers, <laughs> all the receivers that originate from the backfield. So uh, that's a good development. And just understand how this offense is working right now, especially with only really two full-time and Hogan and, and Cook's wide receivers in the traditional sense. You need those guys. You need all four of them. So don't start talking about trade one. <laughs> okay. Uh, last thing, and this is just sort of a, a throwaway point, but it pissed me off, and I think any defensive players hearing this would feel very similar. Uh, Patriots fans, you might as well just if you're a stat watcher or whatever. But uh, Mark Ingram, nice run, man. He's good back. And I, I know that uh, Sean Payton likes to get all the guys involved. That's why we saw less of Peterson. He saw more of the Kamara, I believe his name is, the young kid from Tennessee. He had a, had a really nice uh, catch over Chung down the sideline there sometime in the game. I don't remember exactly when it was. But uh, Mark Ingram has a garbage time run of 28 yards. Last snap, clock runs out. 
28 yards up the middle. He ends up with over 50 yards in a day, and it just completely spoils the overall yards per carry against the defense, the overall number you give up. I'm just, I'm simply bringing this point up. It's got nothing to do with nothing other than as a, just sharing a story. As a defense player, you hate that shit because now the box score is going to say something other than what you felt like really happened. All but that last play when it was over. So you hate to get those because it's just, it poisoned the well. You know, the stats are going to say something different. You know, you're Mark Ingram. You're looking back from this 20 years and you say, on that day, I had 52 yards, big day, you know, good solid day. A lot of touches. Good job. (laughs) It was that one damn play. And it makes the defense look like they didn't play as well against the run as they actually did. So anyway, that's enough on that game. I think you can kind of put a bow on the Saints uh, performance and feel really good about it. But no, you got a lot of work to do. Uh, it's certainly not done. We know that uh, Hogan was a little banged up. Dorsett a little banged up. Burkhead a little banged up. Uh, defensively, uh, still having problems with crossing routes a little bit or bunch routes, stack routes. Stacks where one guy lines behind another, bunches when three are together. Uh, crossers are just when they sort of put two elements uh, near one another with the intention of picking off guys if they're a man. Uh, so, you know, that came up again. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, great when it's solo. Has had a couple issues now, two games in a row where big plays have been given up because he, in this this instance, aligned on the exact same play as the guy playing as the guy next to him. Can't do that because snap of the ball, you're going to run into each other, and they did. So that was kind of a weird rookie mistake to see a, a player as good as him make. Doubt he'll ever make it again here because they'll they'll be hammering him on it. And I think that's really more of when I heard back Belichick's commentary on people trying to get him about Malcolm Butler. Malcolm didn't take the first snaps. Rowe did. What's going on, Malcolm controversy? I think it was less. His statement, I felt, I took it as he made like a sort of around the DB room kind of, of talk because he he said we all need to do better. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I know they just came out of out, out of out of out of film sessions when he's doing this this media availability, and he saw those plays. He saw the Gilmore plays. He saw the row play. He saw you know there was he saw Malcolm's whatever it is that he gave up that he wasn't overly pleased with but I thought there's enough in that room overall that cumulatively he's saying man you guys are giving C work right now and this could be like an A A secondary now I say that they still played they still played very good relative to the quarterback couple of those balls you got a hundred yards of receiving there easily on a couple balls that you know there's only a few quarterbacks in the league complete and this coverage is about as good as you can expect so you know tip of the cap but so some of that you're not going to be able to to practice better and overcome or play better and overcome. It's not those, it's more the freebies. So again, when, when these issues, these issues have shown themselves on tape twice, you know, the Texans are going to try to build sort of combo package stuff where they create confusion intentionally, maybe start to cross and go back. You know, they're going to try to get you to get confused on who has who. And that came up a couple times in the Saints game. So it's, it's still on tape. They're going to continue to hammer at it. So watch it in this week and see if maybe they zone it. Zoning it means, you know, I'll take first out in, first outside. You take first inside. They cross. I don't care. I just I'm, I'm letting them release and then declare, you know, maybe past five yards. So there's little tricks and ways that guys can do that. We have no way from afar, I certainly don't, to know exactly what the rule was on that play. But going forward, you know, there's sort of a moment where you have to be on the same page with the guy and say, okay, they might twist up here a little bit, but once they've cleared five, it's declared we're on them. Or first out, first in, first vertical, first low, whatever. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different ways, but if one guy's doing it one way and the other guy's doing another, you're going to have problems, and that's sort of been the situation. But with new dudes, you kind of expect it. Hope they, they iron it out. I'm certain they will. Uh, and that's kind of it. Defensively, good against run game. Had those issues in the secondary we mentioned. Um 
offensively gangbusters, but injuries. So we'll see where that all goes. All right. And as promised, let's dive into this. The reason we're here is how we do the games. We wrap up on the last one and we look ahead to the next one. Big week this week, and a lot of people are down on the Texans because of the offensive questions, the quarterback situation, young guy coming all the way up here to Foxborough. Thought there'd be no one better to speak to than my buddy Ted Johnson uh, for sort of the pulse of that team and what's going on. So let's have him on it. Here's TJ. And as promised, my buddy, old teammate, Rockhead, guy that just blew people up for a living is now doing radio down to Houston. Ted Johnson is with us. TJ, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Matthew, I am doing excellent, bro. It's great to talk to you, man. Yeah, Teddy is the, uh, the co-host of the Triple Threat. It's sports radio down at 610 in Houston. Uh, his own show there, 2 to 6. Uh, great stuff there where he gets to sort of work intimately with uh, watching that team on the ground. He gets to see uh, those Texans. So he's on here for us just to sort of, you know, chit-chat old ball, but also to talk a little bit about that team. And just so you know, Teddy, uh, this sort of, this show is a little different than when I've had you on in the past. This is a, a strictly Patriot show now. It's called The Real Thing Patriot Podcast. So we – aim for real stuff, you know, kind of talk a little X's and O's, nuts and bolts, bullshit that uh, you often don't get to talk on other stuff. So that's why I thought it would obviously be great to have you on. One of the cool things here that I'll hit you with first, just sort of big picture view. Uh, you know, what What are the biggest issues facing the Texans now uh, on the field, other than obviously the, the rookie quarterback? Yeah, it's, uh, it's offensive line, Matt. It's offensive line, and it's not even close. That's their biggest issue right now. Their first game uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, they gave up. Uh, you know, 10 sacks. I mean, basically, Calais Campbell, uh, he, he basically got himself in the Hall of Fame with that game because he had three <laughs> and a half sacks. He was a, he was a force. And and so that's the biggest issue. And, it, and, and it's, it's frustrating for Texans fans because it feels like it's something that could have been, uh, you know, dealt with a long time ago. They were they were not active in free agent uh, market this offseason. Um, and they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they drafted uh, Julian Davenport uh, in the fourth round, but he's more of a project at this point. So they didn't upgrade at all, and they had plenty of cap space to do that. And so people are frustrated with that. And there's just, uh, you know, there's just guys that they've missed on, and there's a lot of heat on Rich Smith, the general manager, Matthew, with uh, with a lot of the draft choices and some of the choices he's made in free agency, and particularly the offensive line. So the offensive line is is a disaster right now. Um, and it's just making it difficult for the quarterbacks back there. And it's hard to evaluate, uh, you know, the quarterback play when you have uh, young wide receivers um, right. and you have inexperienced wide receivers and you have an offensive line that is paper mache offensive line. So, um, you know, it's, but I would say that definitely uh, offensive line and then just depth at wide receiver. Depth yeah. at wide receiver, they just uh, released Jalen Strong this past week. Um, they, only, they only had three active uh, wide receivers this past game against the Cincinnati Bengals. So those are the two biggest issues right now for this team, offensive line and wide receiver. Yeah, and oddly, oddly enough, you know, we saw you guys down in uh, down in Houston for the preseason, and I would certainly say this. I don't know how you feel, but I, I, I felt I came out of that game saying, okay, that's going to be fun in a few weeks because the, the Texans yeah. put on a pretty good show there for a few series. Jalen Strong actually had a nice little game, yeah. and yeah. now he's no yeah. longer on the yeah. roster. But Butler for a couple nice plays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, it, how fast things change in the NFL, um, you know, just the injury situation you're talking about, the, the Patriots have their own, 
uh, with wide receiver concerns, but none that are sort of debilitating. There's just a lot of guys walking around with nicks and scrapes, and you know that as a former player. So um, yeah. I, I want to kind of flip to the other side of the ball. I'm, I'm curious with, uh, you know, obviously our buddy Mike Brable. Braves is now running that defense. He's going to be putting a plan together. We know he's been there on staff in the past when they've faced each other with Rack still calling plays. But I'm just curious, you know, what you think Braves is going to come up with here. I mean, we, we actually just did a show earlier this week with me and Zolak uh, for the Patriots. Uh, it's called Patriots This Week. And we did, uh, you know, kind of like, what do we think Braves is going to do? You know, because we know that we know that Brady can't, can't step into passes. And Braves knows that. And you got to get him on his front porch and all that kind of stuff. Is there something that you've seen that Mike migrates toward that, he, you know, he might try to use this week when he comes back to face his old team? Man, there's this whole, there's this thing called the diamond front. You know, it's five guys, and they what they're doing is is what they like to do. What Braves like to do is he likes to put linebackers in the a gaps. You know, and particularly on third down. So he he likes to put you know Whitney Merciless over the center and over the guard who plays outside linebacker. Uh, you, you know, in, in speed and quickness and athleticism. Uh, you know, up up against the interior line, and so you have to get the top fast in the. And you have to get, you know, you have to get to them early in the down, right? And yet pressure up the middle is the best. So they had success doing that. Obviously, you can't blitz them. You know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to really, really disguise pre-snap. Um, you're gonna have to make Tom think guys are coming from, you know, you're not sure where he's coming from, and you're gonna have to do it with the three and four man rush. You know, it's the same stuff. And you know, you have to hit Tom, man. You can't, you can't just do flybys, man. You got to actually get him on the ground. Um, and we know how difficult that is, and so you have to you have to get to him fast. So that means you got to be up on your coverage fast, you know. I mean, so because the ball comes out so fast, uh, so you can't have a lot of cushion. You got to be, I think, up on the line of scrimmage because the ball is coming out fast. And the Texans did a decent job against uh, you know the Patriots in the playoffs last year. They just couldn't sustain it because there's just too much firepower. Um, one of the challenges is going to be. Um, is going to be covering the backside of the backfield. You've already seen Rex Burkhead, who I thought was a huge pickup, Matt, for them. Yeah. I mean, very underrated there in Cincinnati. He's already having an impact. We know this team, the Texans, if you watched the playoff game last year against the Patriots, have issues covering backside of the backfield. They, you got a 10-game suspension with, with Brian Cushing, so he's not going to be there. you got Zach Cunningham, their second-rounder out of Vanderbilt, who, a rookie, who's doing a damn good job in – in his place, and so he's going to have to cover those backs out of the backfield. Um, are you going to have to have safety cover those backs out of the backfield? Um, because there's there's just not a lot of depth now that Brian Cushy's gone. But if you get to him fast, I think you're going to have a lot of uh, you know linebackers rushing up the a gaps um, a lot of times uh, against those interior offensive linemen, um, and they're going to have to really be creative in how they cover these backs out of the backfield because that's a mismatch uh, nightmare right there. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, and I kind of came out of I came out of that preseason game thinking to myself because you know Burkhead smoked him on one, another guy DJ Foster smoked another, but DJ has been claimed by Arizona. But the point of that angle routes, uh, Zampezi routes, Zampezi routes, however you want to look at it, but the ways that they sort of build space mismatches with linebackers. My first thought is okay, Vrabes though, old outside linebacker, he's gonna he's gonna jam the shit out of the backs in the real game. Because I think he's going to yeah. be terrified that those angle routes will happen again. But then as I thought that, I was like, okay, wait a minute. But if he starts doing that, this whole thing that you just said, the three- and four-man rush where you got to get there quickly with yeah. a minimum amount of guys, if you're taking guys out of the rush to hit these backs, I mean, Tom's got to stand back there for 10 yeah. seconds. So then that's yeah. a problem, too. Yeah. I think pick that's kind of the quandary right? that a defense has. What's that? Yeah, pick your poison, Matt. I mean, it's yeah. 
and it's, it's just, you know, you know, and there's something going on here in Houston that's a little bit strange to me. And, and, and I don't know, man. I'd love to get your opinion on it. But it's, it's, it, they got JD Clowney playing outside linebacker. He played defensive end, you know, in this three-four scheme down here last year. He hated it, you know, because he doesn't like being on, you know, taking on double teams and, right. and had taken on bigger guys. You know, he likes to be play on the edge. But they have him playing outside linebacker in this three-four defense right now, and they have. You're going to see the Patriots game plan the hell out of J.D. Clowney. I mean, he gets fooled on misdirection, play yeah. action, I mean, sweeps, even just, you know, toss sweeps to his side. He is a, he can't hold the point. He can't set the edge like you could. I mean, he can't. He, he's so – he's thinking way too much as opposed to just putting his hand in the dirt and letting him go. So they have him playing outside linebacker, and he looks like Parcells used to say, like a ball in high grass. Lost, um, and so you really, you really. I, I'm just, I'm sitting there going, when is he going to move to defensive end? When is he going to move to defensive end? So that's just something to watch. Watch him, Matt, uh, play outside linebacker. This is a guy that should be rushing on every single play, not dropping back at all. Um, and I think the Texans, or excuse me, the Patriots are going to exploit that. If I'm Tom, I'm going up there and I'm looking where number ninety is, and I'm going, I'm calling a run to his side because he has yet to set the edge all season long. Yeah, he's a guy that you could hook. He's a guy that you could high arm. He almost is like he's so incredibly athletic and strong. You can use his 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 aggressiveness against him. I saw you tweeting about that that's during the game, exactly and I was right. like, I, I was going to bring that up with you because you know that's that's a great yeah. point. Um, one of the things that that I, again I understand sort of the quandary that's before Vrabes. It, this guy's such an incredible piece, such an incredible athlete. You want to use him a number of ways. And he's had a bit of an injury history, so when a guy like that starts complaining about wanting to be against big people, I half wonder if he thinks he's you know, he's going to get banged up. Uh, but yeah. you know what? You, you let you let a guy like that go free, and if you you know, I'm sure the Patriots are out, or excuse me, the, the Texans are watching that film with with the Saints. They've started using these jet sweep elements, which is like a college thing, uh, where I think Cooks has had carries, Hogan has had carries, and now Dor- Dorsett's had carries. And you remember the old double screen nonsense with Brady where oh. send half the team one way, half the other, and then they're oh, back yeah. on the third fake to the back. All that, that stuff to take advantage of guys like like Clowney. Yeah, no, that was, just, that was a Charlie White special, that old double screen, man, <laughs> yeah. um, for sure, yeah. And that's, and that, and you know, it's funny, the, the game plan for Clowney that the uh, Patriots did for the exact same thing when they had him playing outside linebacker a couple of years ago. And so it just watch watch that. Watch uh, the all the plays to the, to, the, to, the, uh, you know, to the edge when number 90 is out there. And it's interesting because right now, you have J.D. Clowney, J.J. Watt, and Whitney Merciless, and they're supposed to be, you know, and I, I deem this to be the best front seven in the NFL. That's what I, that's what I deemed it as. I just thought yeah. going into the season with those three guys, it was going to be a nightmare. But so far, I think you're just really playing J.D. Clowney at outside linebacker. You take away his, his biggest strength, and he's thinking way too much out there. And my old D, you know, I, you know my old D coordinator before you got to New England there, Matthew, was, uh, was Al Groh. And Al Groh, mm-hmm. of course, was with the Jets, but um, he, he used to always say, Ted, I never want you to come off the field and say, Coach, I thought, I thought. You should right. not. You should be a no-mind game out there. You should be playing with instinct. And right now, J.D. Clowney's taking way too much. Well, one of my favorite non-I-thought guys, and I, I was, I was going to bring him up <laughs> because I've, I'm excited about this dude, uh, relative to the Patriots, I think Houston fans would be a little bit interested in this guy because he played for the Cougars. He was Houston Cougars. His name's Landon Roberts. He's this oh, young. Yeah, uh, he's just, yeah, Landon Roberts is this young uh, middle linebacker, and he's not a biggest guy. I mean, he's probably a 235, 240 kind of guy, not tall, five, 
eleven, maybe six foot. I don't know, but he's he's like a little bullet though, and he's he's done a really great job. Yeah, just he probably has no stats at the end of the game, but that doesn't mean he didn't play incredibly well. I wanted to have you uh, have you sort of talk about Landon, even if you hadn't seen him. Uh, just sort of your yeah. perspective of a guy who's been in the middle of a three four, either been a Mac once you get the nickel, yeah. and having to make that quick pre snap read. And just beat the guard to the spot, you know, and just you know bang heads yeah. when you get there, kind of deal. Atlanta's been really good at that, and I think it's something that fans here aren't going to appreciate as much because he doesn't show up in the box score. Yeah, no, it's uh, I watched him here at the University of Houston. I, I funny, it was funny because now he's wearing my old number there in New England. Yes. Too, and it's just funny, like he's just we couldn't look more different physically, right? right? I mean, right. I was exactly. I was just a bigger and more lumbering middle linebacker, and he's this this shorter, you know, shorter. Squatty body and who just like you said. I mean, he plays downhill. I mean, he's very good uh, instinctively. I mean, he he. There's not a lot of guys when you play middle line. You know, you play middle linebacker. They call. You know, they, there's two types of middle linebackers, Matthew. There's the there's the downhill player, and then there's the float and fill guy. You know, and yeah. a lot of the you know, Atlanta has a little bit of both. You know, he can play downhill, and he's got good instincts to know when he needs to float and fill. You know, and I was one way. I was downhill. That's all I knew. And that was, I was never going to change. But he has a nice kind of feel for when he needs to float and fill and when he needs to attack the line of scrimmage, press the line of scrimmage. Uh, and do, and he, you see him, you know, kind of, you see him fit through, you know, creases and crevices that I could never do. So his, the fact that he's not as big, you know, Stan Mills, Zach Thomas, right. uh, those guys yeah. were incredible middle linebackers and they were undersized. But sometimes they can fit in creases and in seams to make plays in the backfield that, you know, guys like me never could make. And so he's a, he is a weapon, man, because you can mix and match him week to week based on the opponent. Um, and it's good to see number 52 out there from University of Houston, who was, a, I believe, a pretty late-round draft pick, going out there and having an immediate impact even last year in his rookie season. Yeah, he's fun to watch, man. I think just from simple sort of football aficionado, somebody who just likes to watch people run into one another, read stuff yeah. quickly. I think that's something else I appreciate about him, something that you were you're really good at that you know, fans from the outside may not have known, but like, you know, little things like, you know, a guard starts to lean a little bit and he knows a puller's coming and pre snap. I, I put a tweet up about this uh, yesterday, I think on the football by mm-hmm. football account where where is a really good one where you see his head just look left real quickly uh, right. to his right. Yeah. And what he's seeing is, you know, he looked back at the guard. So when the guard stepped, he stepped. Like, he was looking backside oh. even though it was aligned frontside. And it's like, dude, he knew. And he, oh. and he beats the guard to the spot. Right. That stuff, you know, that stuff gets me all looped yep. up. I love that stuff. And, and yeah. he's good at those kinds of things. But uh, so, anyway, we'll move on to sort of the next point. I think this is kind of the last sort of going away kind of big picture thing. I do this each and every time. We've had a couple games here. We had Deuce McAllister on last week. The first week, Mike DeVito from the Chiefs came on. I like it when we're facing uh, – the Patriots are facing another team. Uh, but there are people that are good contributors uh, that aren't getting headlines, guys that could be factors in this game, guys that Billy O is going to be relying upon heavily that you might hear the name a handful of times in the game. Say, oh, I didn't know much about him. So, for the Texans – you maybe one each side yeah. or whatever it is you choose. Sure. Who, who would you say that, you know, some guys that you're going to be watching that game and these guys are going to yeah. show up, you like them, but they're not big headline yeah. grabbers? Yeah, I would say I would say one I've already mentioned on the defensive side of the ball, Zach Cunningham, a uh, rookie out of uh, Vanderbilt, number 41. Number 41, he's going to be in coverage a lot, and he's a tackle monster. He's got a really – he's got a lean – he looks kind of like Roman Pfeiffer. He's got like a lean build yeah. – 
He's a little bit long and lanky. He doesn't look, you know, like maybe your prototypical middle linebacker. Um, he's playing more to the open side. He's playing on the weak side, so he's in coverage more. Um, so watch for number 41 and one around making plays. This kid, I think, is going to be a really good player. And then on the other side, number 27, who needs to get the ball more, Dante Freeman. Uh, excuse me, Dante Foreman out of uh, University of Texas. He's a third-round draft pick. He, he got a little bit more carries last week. Uh, against Cincinnati Bengals, he only had one carry against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars in, in the opener. This guy is a bowling ball butcher knife, Matt. This guy, <laughs> he, he ran between the tackles only at Texas. And they ran, they ran like counters, counter OTs in Texas. Like, yeah. you don't ever see tackles pulling anymore. But that's what right. he did. And so if he was the guy, the short yardage guy. But let me tell you, this guy has explosiveness and, and the ability to get himself out of the hole as good as anybody I've seen, man. And so watch number 27 on offense. This guy, to me, needs to get the rock more than he's been getting. And then number 41 on defense. Those are two guys to look for for the Texans. Awesome stuff. So a, sort of a going away question, both sides, because these are kind of been the stories of around here, trying to figure out what's going on down there. It's been reported that there are obviously some issues with, with cornerbacks uh, health there down in Houston. Uh, yeah. What do we know about the guys behind them? Uh, what, what do you think sort of their relative faith in those guys that they can get the job done? Matt, they're bringing guys in. I mean, they're bringing guys in right, right. now. It's, so it's, it's Kevin Johnson, who it was a big loss. He wasn't playing that well. He was their first rounder from two years ago. Uh, he was struggling at the end of the season, but this guy to me has all he has all pro potential. He's out uh, right now. They're just down to Kareem Jackson, who just won't get his best game. Him and, and and Jonathan Joseph are the two biggest kind of uh, that's their two uh, studs. Um, but they have no depth behind it. They they let go. Um, uh, of the kid, oh, at uh, in Jacksonville, I'm already, uh, I'm already losing his name. But they, they had a big free agent go uh, during the off season, and then they. So right now, they have Tristan Deku, who was, was a late round draft pick out of Oregon State. He's going to have to step up. He's a rookie. But they basically, after they're starting to, AJ Boye, excuse me, the uh, kid down in Jacksonville, AJ, AJ Boye, yeah, he exactly. went, yep. he went via free agency, and so they, with Kevin Johnson now uh, hurt. It's just it's just Jonathan Joseph, Cream Jackson, and then who I'm not so sure. Tristan Deku, who they drafted late this year, um, they they love him because he's long, lean, he's strong, um, but he's still very, very raw. Um, behind him, I have no idea. They they're bringing guys in this week, so that's what scares the hell out of me. Is when you have a secondary that's unsettled going up against Tom Brady, who would just lit, <laughs> lit it up last week for over 400 yards. So. That's going to be a major concern for the Texans is their their secondary and the health of their secondary. And it's weird. It's weird that the, that it times out like this because although the Texans are clearly having those issues with their own health, there the Patriots are kind of having this on offense with their wide receivers. Not that they're playing well, but they're all nicked up. I don't know if you ever remember this, TJ, but they they went act uh, active roster on Sunday against the Saints, three wide receivers. I don't remember ever seeing that. I don't remember ever seeing just carry three. It's not like the fourth was a special teams only guy. There weren't a fourth. There were three active wide receivers. Chris Hogan yeah. was limping around in the game. Uh, you know, uh, Dorsett is said to have sort of a knee thing, but we imagine he'll be back healthy. Remember, he's only been there for a couple of weeks. So it's it's like just Brandon Cooks and then a tight end and a whole bunch of backs. So they got kind of a weird yeah. situation too. So it's sort of, you know, two health issues. Uh, hitting heads, uh, flipping to the other side of the ball. Yeah. Finally, uh, the 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 Texans tight end group, which I thought looked pretty good in preseason, but now is pretty banged up. Is that group uh, sort of a non-reliance area for parts of the offense? 
Yeah, we're hoping we're hoping that uh, when they put CJ Fedora, which uh, who they just extended this past offseason, he's on he's on IR, so he won't be playing this game. Him, uh, you know, and, and then uh, Ryan Griffin out of UConn uh, were the two starting tight ends. But now Ryan Griffin and Steven Anderson. It was basically CJ Fedora, which Ryan Griffin, Steven Anderson were the starting tight ends. Um, all three of those guys got concussed in the Jacksonville game. There's nothing worse than they get your ass kicked. Especially, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette, let him run for over 100, and then having guys just look like it's a mash ward too, right? I mean, that's like injury to insult. Uh, but anyway, those guys uh, were hoping that Steven Anderson and Ryan Griffin, who got concussed in that first game, who did not play in last Thursday night's game because of concussion, will be cleared to play uh, this game. So that's that's what their hope is because they're bringing offensive linemen as tight ends last week. Julian Davenport played tight end, and God bless them. Uh, he did the best with what God gave him, but he was not very good at tight end. And so he, uh, hopefully those two guys will come back and they'll be a bigger. Steven Anderson and Ryan Griffin will come back. And those guys are, honestly, they're just they're glorified bigger receivers is all they are. They don't do much in the, in, the, uh, in the blocking game. They're more liabilities at the point of attack. And so Ryan Griffin is their guy. They think of Steven Anderson, who's honestly, I don't know how he's still on this team. He doesn't do much for me. But uh, that he's a mismatch for safeties because uh, he's you know he's a smaller guy who's you know just big enough to maybe be physically a little bit more uh, imposing for safeties coverage. So those are the two tight ends they have right now. But uh, you know, they're nothing that, to get too too excited about. All right, Bud Gold stuff as always. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. It's sort of uh, you know this weird sort of Patriot South kind of thing. So every time these games come around, get to sit and watch a bunch of old friends coaching now, and oh, it makes awesome. me it makes me feel like I uh, am not doing enough with my life. <laughs> watch, yeah. watch you and me both, man. I just it's fun to have uh, you in the business uh, right along with me, and I always enjoy catching up with you. It, you know the only the only chance the Texans have is they is Deshaun's got to run around and make plays. He's going to have to make right. plays, um, you know, impact plays in the game, and they and they just can't get in a hole early, you know. And that's usually the Patriots just put. I mean, what was it thirty thirty to nothing before half? You know, at halftime last week yeah. against the Saints. So yeah. that can't happen if the Texans have obviously uh, have any desire to win this game well, when they do. But it's uh, it's going to be tough. And all that comes down to rush scheme. And, I, I, you know, the Patriots are – they don't like to blitz people. They rarely do anyway. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see a lot of three-man rush where the fourth guy is the spy, not even the four-man rush where the fifth is. You, you, this yeah. is maybe in the weeds too much for some of our listeners. But I think yeah. the the big play that they had against Tennessee where Watson broke it, it was two and two, yeah. four-man rush, and they both split left and right of center, and then Deshaun just runs up the middle with yeah. no with no with no low hole player or a rat or anything like that. Or you can't do yeah. that. You absolutely cannot right. do that. So, uh, one guy that actually Watson smoked him a couple times in the preseason game, and it's sort of lesson learned. Is he's another rookie, Harvey Longy uh, from BYU, good little uh, outside linebacker, another sort of. Uh, uh, you know, strong as shit, but not like a prototype. He's not six four or five. He's like a six two mm-hmm. guy, but strong bull. But you could tell he got too heavy on the tackle. Watson just took the edge, you know, and, and is out in yeah. space on him. You don't ever want to let that happen. Certainly, a guy like myself would never want to let that happen. I'm going to overplay because I don't want to be made. Oh hell stupid. yeah! <laughs> you know, you're right, brother. Yeah, you're right, man. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Enjoy the week, and I'll talk at you down the line. Matthew, always a pleasure, bro. Good catching up with you, man. I'll talk to you later.
And that was Ted Johnson, a uh, longtime Patriot, uh, you know, really one of my, my favorite old teammates for the uniqueness of his game. And we talked about it a little bit. He gave amazing insight there of, of the Texans sort of on the ground. And Ted's a blunt dude. I love that. You know, or, where I might parse words more, he just throws it out there. And, and a lot of times that real talk is needed, especially on a team down there that's that's having some issues. And uh, I, there's clearly some vacancies on that roster that Billy O is going to struggle with. And, uh, you know, some frustration, especially at offensive line. And it's no surprise that, that Ted notices offensive line first. He's a guy that was as, as good of a student of what goes on in there from looking it up from the other side at middle linebackers as anyone I remember. And, uh, you know, there were years when I had to learn to play middle linebacker uh, and ended up playing a handful of it, I think maybe in my fifth and sixth years here in New England. And I remember being completely out of sorts, having no clue, right? Uh, you know, every I'd seen the entire world since high school, college, and then uh, and then at least the first handful of years in the NFL from the outside. And all of a sudden, I'm standing in the middle, uh, bruised down, I think, with the stroke. Uh, Rabes was injured. There was a bunch of things that said, Chatham, you got to go learn Mike Linebacker. And I remember Ted was was really helpful, uh, just helping me see better, you know, where to butch your, look your eyes. Is sort of training your eyes and where you need to look and where if you don't, if you do look, you're going to get yourself screwed. Uh, man, he sees a game like like I never did from, from that point of view and was really, really good at it. Um, and, you know, I, I think his, his perspective on on the young linebacker that the Texans have, the young linebacker that the Patriots have, it's sort of how you make your way in the league with that kind of sort of makeup. Uh, that's just invaluable. That's the real stuff that we want on this Real Patriots podcast. The real thing. I should know the name. It's, it's three weeks now. Real thing Patriots podcast. But, uh, uh, again, I uh, love whenever TJ comes on. Uh, he's probably a guy that out there is Patriots fans. I know a lot of you love, but there's there's probably also a sense of, underappreciation for for guys who blow up the guard so that the other guys make the tackle or you know or go plug things up so that there isn't a play to be made and sometimes there aren't stats for that and that's that's why you know, why Doug Ted uh, as a teammate, he was really someone who sacrificed his body. Um, you know, as a special teams guy that had to hit wedges and set edges in the defense, like like Ted alluded to there in our in our little chat. I mean, that was kind of something I could appreciate in him because I had to do it myself. I had to had to give myself up writing and stay employed, and uh, we know Ted did that. So uh, really smart guy and a really physical dude, and that's the two combinations you look for in football. So I was really happy he could come on, really happy things are going for well for him down in Houston, and I think as a listener, you should be really happy you had him on. So there's nuggets in there, some wisdom in that TJ brings that a lot of guys can't. So dug that, love that, and let me get into – the 60 second take on that we didn't touch on with that Texans game and sort of where I th- see this thing going. I look at this as a division game. I know it's not, but it's that Patriot South idea. And a lot of the things that, that I've sort of learned over the years of being an analyst of the team, you know, now that I'm not playing and haven't been for a long while now, uh, is to not overreact to what things look like on paper when there's a high familiarity. And I think that happens when I watch other divisions, when I watch AFC North stuff, when you see, you know, a a Ravens-Browns game coming up and everyone realizes the Ravens are far superior, but there's just some closeness because they know each other. Pittsburgh-Browns should be a blowout, right? Pittsburgh's a, you know, a Super Bowl contender potentially, at least an AFC draw contender. And uh, the Browns, you know, maybe the 32nd or 31st team in all of football, going to be a blowout not always and I, and I kind of feel like the Texans are sort of 
AFC East honorable mention kind of team because they know the Patriots really well. And what does that mean? That means they're going to game plan really tight. And I think they're in better sorts because of the quarterback change. And it, it, maybe it sounds a little implausibly so because because it's so young in Watson's career. But I think he can hurt you in ways that Osweiler couldn't. And, you know, defensively, I think they'll continue to improve. Uh, you know, Vrabes, I just trust that he's going to put something out there that doesn't get himself gashed. You know, he's going to give his team a chance. And because of that, it feels like it could be one of those Patriots-Jets teams where we know the Patriots are superior to the Jets. But somehow, some way, it always ends up being a little closer than, you know, some sort of blowout. I could be dead wrong, and this is a blowout, and I just wasted your time. But I, I just have sort of a feel, and maybe it's more from, from bias and respect for those guys. It just is what it is. But um, look for a competitive game, at least for a big portion. I think there will become moments where some of those areas of thinness that Ted touched upon, linebacker coverage issues, secondary coverage issues, uh, become you know expounded upon, become big, 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 big. And eventually the Patriots capitalize and pull away. Uh, I believe on that Patriots This Week show that I do with, with uh, the Craft Sports production people, me and Zoe and Bob Soshi, I went 27-13, somewhere in that range. So I kind of feel that same way. The 27 number for me is sort of derived from a comparable output against the the Chiefs, who had a pretty good defense themselves. I think the Texans are potentially a notch above that, but with the cornerback uh, issues, mm, you know, the Patriots could put a little more on them. But that said, this is also going to be a slow them down, don't let them run away with it kind of thing with – with with game plan from Mike, I'm just I'm just half assuming that that they'll come up with something that works pretty well and that frustrates Tom at least a little bit, so it's not sort of a runaway put forty on him kind of thing. So that said, in that twenty seven neighborhood, and I think the Texans are going to have a hard time scoring. They just simply are. The thing that you half wonder is if you end up with some garbage points there, and that's why I don't like betting this game. If if you are out there and someone who does bet, I'd heard the line had gotten up into the fourteen, started at twelve. All those are a little nerve-wracking when you get a situation where I do presume that at some point the Patriots are going to lead, and it's that garbage score. And, you know, some scramble, fourth quarter, game out of reach, and they cover. Or they, they, they prevent the cover. So, I don't know. Anyway, do what you do. Uh, this is a week where I'm just going to sit and watch and be a football fan and uh, an analyst and, and stay away from that part of it because I think there's a, a degree of uncertainty of how this thing will go down because of the familiarity. Uh, Patriots uh, have a good opportunity here to, to do a week of work against uh, an agile quarterback. We know uh, Cam Newton's on the schedule coming up later. Uh, obviously, Cam Newton can do a lot more than Deshaun Watson can yet at this this stage of his career. But sort of as far as rush schemes and controlling that part of the offense, it's a good week of work. It's an incredible test because we saw Watson be able to go to the length of the field. So you kind of know these are the things you can't allow to happen, and then the rest of the stuff will just chips as they fall. So we'll see where it goes. Enjoy it. I hope you got some nuggets out of today's show, both from myself on the front end and from TJ later. Um, you know, let's keep your eyes peeled on the on the game, stuff that you have interest in, stuff that you have questions about, stuff that's a that has a arisen in the uh in the videos we post. Always want feedback from you guys from the podcast, from the stuff we post on the Twitter account, from the website, all of that. And once again, as we head out here into the sunset, this was the Real Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Thank you so much for your patronage. Keep sharing the show, keep showing the love. Love you back. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.